Welcome to Taking Back Birth, a podcast for women who know the truth about birth and those who want to explore the path of radical birth love. I'm your host, Marin Green. Taking Back Birth celebrates the power you have to make decisions in alignment with your own truth. Decisions not subject to anyone else's authority. Decisions that create experiences that will change your life. Taking Back Birth is a production of the Indie Birth Private Contract Association and IndieBirth.org. No material on this podcast should be considered medical advice. Birth is not a medical event. Welcome to Mothering Number Six. I may have to talk a little bit more quietly. I have Mr. Rumi on my lap here. He's my only baby that can hang out for hours. <laughs> Watch him prove me prove me wrong, but he has been doing this. Whether it's phone calls or video calls or podcasts or meeting with actual people, he just hangs out. We call him a sloth baby. Just hangs. So, a deep breath this morning, at least for me. Hmm. I've been trying to remember to do that more. It's a great practice, this breathing thing. With clients, with friends, with children, just remembering to take a breath, especially before launching into subject matter. So take your own breath this morning. A short announcement. We are offering our 13 moons, our amazing, epic, very comprehensive childbirth course as a pay what you can. And we've been offering it this way for the last week. It has proved to be enormously successful in all of the ways. And it seems like we might keep it that way, at least for a little while. Spread the wealth grow our community, um, give to you, and see how you're giving back in general by participating and furthering your own knowledge. So link is on our site. I believe it's just indiebirth.org forward slash 13 moons, the number, not spelling it out. And if you'd like to participate, just go there and donate what you can. You will immediately get an email to the course. And even if you can't or don't want to or whatever, you can certainly share this link. That would be appreciated. The more the merrier is what we figure. So go for it. It's a really fantastic deal, obviously. So mothering number six is all about health and wellness. And I'm feeling a little overwhelmed (laughs) at the moment just thinking about it because it sounds like an innocent enough topic. But the more I started thinking about it and all of the different ways that the conversation could potentially flow, I started feeling a little overwhelmed. I'm sure I'll sort it out through the course of this podcast and I probably just won't get to everything I could ever talk about because that would be too long. And maybe there'll be a second episode at some point if I feel like there are more things to say and or more questions. 
Hmm, where to start? Well, what is health and what is wellness? I think it's important to consider our own beliefs about health and our bodies. And that is a lifelong journey for many of us. It has been for me. It continues to be for me. Seriously, day-to-day journey. And if we are on that journey, then certainly if we have children, they are also on that journey. And nevertheless, no matter where you are on the journey, by paying attention to it, by recognizing it is a journey, by recognizing that your beliefs are important, that's a lot of it. So if you're listening, you're probably like me in some ways, I would guess, maybe not always. But health is the most important thing I can think of in somebody's physical life. Health is tied to our emotional care. It's tied to our mental care. And overall, the well-being of our physical body is so important because without a healthy physical body, there are so many things we can't do. So that alone is an important belief to pass down to children if you have it, or maybe you don't, but that is my belief that health is the most important. And our bodies as physical vessels have to be taken care of. So obviously, physical health isn't the only element because our bodies respond to all aspects of ourselves, but they are the vehicle. Our bodies are the vehicle through which we go through this human life. So super obvious, but just taking a moment to feel that, to ground into that. We are spiritual beings in a physical body. And if we don't take care of our physical form, we can be miserable. So children especially, I think, don't have these deep thoughts. I mean, they probably instinctively want to keep their bodies well, I think. But also children, young adults might have this idea that their bodies are disposable in a sense, you know, that if they don't have a strong model, then that can be maybe someone that abuses their body or, you know, that's one reason for having really great nutrition, right? We want to take care of our physical form. And so if that's not modeled for us, then maybe, I don't know, maybe we easily think that, or we don't really think, you know, because you're not certainly not going to consciously think, well, I can just, you know, get a new one if I, <laughs> if I ruin this part of my body. But just that intentional thought to we only get one body in this life. And it's super important to keep it healthy in all of the ways. So I don't know how much I'll talk about this aspect of health, uh, probably a little bit more. But being strong in your body has always been super important to me. And I think that was very well passed down. So like a lot of people's parents, mine are, were very much in the Western medical model as far as their parenting of me. However, one really amazing gift my dad in particular gave me, and I've mentioned this, was and still is his inspiration to take care of his body 
through exercise, through movement. And back then when I was a little kid, and I'm sure certainly when he was younger, I don't know that exercise was maybe what it is now. So I never thought of it like that. All I remember is my dad getting out each morning when I was a kid. He would walk the neighborhood uh, in his younger years. He was a runner. I would ride my bike alongside of him when I was young. And he also belonged to the Y. He would go work out. So this was very strongly modeled for me to the point where I can't remember a time where I didn't see that. And I was an active child. I played soccer. I played basketball. I was fairly athletic, but it wasn't until I was a little bit older, obviously, that I learned to take care of my body in that way. So I do think that's something important to me that my kids are being modeled. I get out every morning for a hike, rain or shine, and do a couple of miles. And that's just one way that I care for my physical form and my strength. Again, being strong for whatever reason is really important to me. Um, Here I am in the postpartum. I've got lots of extra weight on. I'm no different than any other woman. I would really love to not have the extra weight. But at the moment, the best way for me to focus is strength. My core strength is lacking. Obviously, strength is a bit lacking after pregnancy, for me anyway. And so that's my focus. I'm doing yoga every day. And everything I choose to do is to increase my strength and mobility rather than weight loss. So I think that's another thing that I'm modeling for my children that I hope they take on. Strength is important because that allows our bodies to do all the things it needs to do. And I want to be able to run around with my kids. I want to, you know, not get old in the sense of the way we think about it in this culture. I don't think that's necessary. And I watched my own grandpa my paternal grandpa, my dad's dad, lived to over 100. And I think I have really great genetics, thanks to him. And really all of my family, my mother and my father, both of their parents were relatively healthy. That's not entirely true, I suppose. My grandma did die of Alzheimer's. But physically, the other three lived pretty long, healthy lives. And like I said, my grandpa lived till I think he was 101. And he is descended from a bunch of tiny Italian people, of which I am one, that have sort of superhuman strength. (laughs) I don't know that I do necessarily, but my grandpa did in his day. He was um, in World War II and was always athletic. I mean, even as a kid, I mean, he was a grandpa, but I remember my grandpa with muscles. Uh, He was just a strong little guy. And my dad, the same way, obviously. And now my sons, I've watched my sons, especially my one son, Egan, in his younger years do very incredible things with his strength. It just comes naturally as part of our genetics. So whatever, whatever that means, but strength and movement are really important. And engaging in sports. Nobody is forced to do sports around here, of course, but I do encourage the kids once they're old enough to get out and walk by themselves or to hike. And to be honest, that's a bit of a struggle with the older ones. They're really not so into it despite my modeling. So I'm not sure how that will look for them. Although they are athletic, 
they do bike. And if you know me at all or follow us on Instagram, my kids, a couple of them scooter and they're pretty freaking awesome. It sounds silly, but uh, like competitive sort of scootering um, for which you need a lot of athletic ability. So I suppose it's been passed down in one way or another. And yeah, another concept that I think is something I want to pass down as far as health and wellness is that the earth is our mother. The earth is our mother. I'm their physical mother. I was their vessel in this life. And I certainly care for them probably more than anyone else on this planet. And I care about their health. But they need to also look to the earth as a source of comfort, as a source of healing. And they'll learn their own lessons with that or not, of course, as they grow older. But the earth is a source of healing. It is the source of healing other than our own bodies. But where does our body get the strength? I think it's from the earth, from the simple vibration, from the lessons that the earth brings to the plants and all of the medicines that are found. Everything is made from the earth. So that gratitude is another thing that I'm trying to get better at this year, if that is a thing to get better at. Just the acknowledging that my health is important and that I'm also super grateful for feeling good. And I don't take that for granted because many people don't. And again, if health is important, then we value it. We take care of ourselves. We spend our money on those things. And these are all individual choices we've made as a family. A little bit about just current events because I kind of touched on it earlier today on an Instagram video about health and the state of the world and mask wearing. I think children and or just people wearing masks is completely not intuitive to natural health for me. And I'm not meaning to start a debate. I don't need to debate this. You are welcome to your own beliefs. But since we are talking about health and wellness, I think that goes against everything I know, everything I know deeply about what the body needs to thrive. Masks prevent good breathing, and that is essential to a healthy human life, especially with children. I honestly think it's child abuse to see children wearing masks, and mine will not. They absolutely will not, and that is really the end of it. On the other side, uh, well, not really side, but like another aspect of that discussion is that sickness is not to be feared necessarily. Nobody wants to be sick. I think another belief system is being so afraid of being sick. And maybe people have good reason for that. I mean, again, I don't think anyone likes it. But if you're taking care of yourself, sickness is also just a part of life. Hopefully it's mild. Hopefully you get what you need out of it. And that's another topic. And you move on. There's no point in cowering in fear and going to these great lengths to avoid sickness for a normal, healthy person. And I think the paradigm right now of teaching children to be scared of other people's breathing around them is really, really detrimental. And detrimental doesn't even cover it. It's horrifying. 
And it's going to affect many people and possibly generations with these belief systems. That's essentially, you know, what we're talking about. Um, Will anyone's health change as a result? It's likely, right? I think it's likely if people stop really being exposed to just normal things around kids really don't have that same immune system that they would have, it certainly could affect our lifelong and generational health. So that's all I'm going to say about that. But I think breathing air is an important part. And perhaps more importantly, is following your own compass when it comes to your body and your own health. And that, of course, has been the theme of literally hundreds of my podcasts. So I don't think that's going to strike anybody as new. But again, what are our intentions? What are our beliefs that we are passing down to our kids about health? There certainly are people out there with the opposite beliefs. They're teaching their kids that they could get sick at any turn, that sickness will kill them, that they have no control, they have no power. And I obviously don't think that's true. Again, sickness isn't desired, but we do have a lot of control and power over what comes our way. And these are not beliefs I grew up with. So if I didn't say my childhood was riddled with illness, honestly, I was not the healthiest of children. But in hindsight, I can see that it was because of interventions and sort of this overarching belief system that I was fragile somehow. And I'm not. And I've come to realize that. And it's taken me many years to find my strength in my body and to birth 10 children and, you know, to use my body for incredible things that have proven to me I'm not that fragile child that I once was labeled as. So I grew up that way. And, you know, that's its own podcast, (laughs) my childhood. I don't know that anyone cares that much, but I grew up in New York, which is a humid place, obviously, with the water right there. And somehow it just became this belief system that I was allergic to a lot of things. Mold in particular, which there's tons of in a humid place. So I grew up being allergic. I don't know how else to say it. And we had a pediatrician, this older guy that I really fondly remember. He seemed like a really great man. And he actually lived right behind us at one point. So he was kind of like family. (laughs) And I don't know that you really want a pediatrician as part of your family, even though I have good memories of him. But the reason was I was always needing something as a child. I was always allergic or having a reaction or needing this medication. Um, I was labeled asthmatic. And I've talked about that. That's no longer a label I feel like applies to me. And again, that's taken a lot of work. Uh, These things do not happen overnight. Our childhoods are just so highly influential, obviously. So it's taken a lot of work to look at some of these things, honestly, so I don't pass them down. But that was my childhood. My sister and I both took a lot of uh, prescription allergy medicine. And other than that, mm, I don't remember too much, but that was kind of a big deal. And I think the belief system there, if it isn't overly obvious, is that we need other people to save us. And life can be really hard when you don't feel well. So I think my parents haven't changed a whole lot. And that's their business and their own life. 
But there was really this feeling of looking outside of ourselves for, for what we needed uh, for our health, other than what I shared about my dad and exercising. <sighs> so deep breath there. There's been a lot of change from there. So moving onwards to having our first baby more than 18 years ago, Amelia was born in the hospital, as you all know, and that was a highly medicalized experience. And I hadn't thought or rethought or looked at intentionally any of these issues about health or how I would raise my daughter. Pretty unconscious. In fact, I'd say fully unconscious. So she was born at the hospital and... They sign you up with a pediatrician right away. And I remember taking her to the pediatrician at three days old because that's what I was told to do. And they kept sticking her foot because she was tiny and jaundiced. So from the get go with her, I was already looking outside of myself for advice, for knowing if she was okay. And I don't regret that in the sense of that's just growth. I feel bad in moments that first children such as herself sort of were experimented on. I didn't know who I was. Jason didn't know who he was. We didn't really have a solid vision for parenting her. So that's disappointing to realize that, but it is what it is. And she was vaccinated for sure. Not past her first year. But I did not question it. And a lot of the influence was coming from my parents, which I think is a really important topic. Even very confident people in their parenting, if they're new to parenting, will be influenced by their families who they shouldn't be influenced by because ultimately no one knows for you what you should do with your kid. But that's definitely this theme, I think that's been passed down in families, um, many families, all kinds of cultures and, you know, all kinds of practices is that the grandparents end up telling these new parents how to do it, what to do, uh, take them there, take them there, asking them crazy things about, are you circumcising your baby even? These are things I hear from clients all the time about their own experiences too, with learning to take care of their new child in a way that probably doesn't resonate with their families at all. So that is a huge and popular theme. So little Amelia had these things done to her, sadly. However, she was a healthy baby, uh, still is a healthy girl, a young adult. And I don't remember. I mean, that's asking me to remember a long time ago, certainly she got sick. Certainly she got colds. And in hindsight, did she get sick more than my other children? Probably. But maybe luckily, the pediatricians that we crossed paths with during this time in our lives were pretty liberal. And I'm so grateful for that because many of them aren't. And I don't remember anyone pushing antibiotics In fact, none of my kids, none of them to this day, have ever been on a round of antibiotics. So I feel really lucky because had that been suggested for Amelia when she was small, 
I don't know that I would have questioned it. I didn't know anything at all, but she wasn't and she remained healthy. However, I remember my parents' influence back then. And if she got something, you know, had a fever, which of course is more common for a small child when they're fighting something. I remember how nervous my parents used to get. Nowadays, they don't even know or chime in because they're not welcome to. But back then, they really felt like maybe I needed that and maybe I wanted that. So they would chime in and, you know, check up on her daily. Oh, is she feeling better? Aren't you going to do something? And that's something I really recall about early parenting that started to eventually make me very angry and rub me very much the wrong way. But initially, it was just a guilt pull. I'm sure many of you are familiar with that. Uh, What are you going to do? Well, she's sick. You can't just leave her like that. I mean, all of the, the ways that someone thinks they know better and they're pressuring you to go do something. So I'm glad that even then I was strong in my will, even though I didn't have a whole lot of knowledge of natural health. I just knew intuitively, and I had some experience too, that taking her into a pediatrician for a cold wasn't going to do a damn thing. And I really didn't want to be in a gross pediatric office with a bunch of actually uh, sick children, perhaps. So um, yeah, that's just kind of a memory I have of my parents being over-involved and overstepping their bounds and in trying to infringe their beliefs and the beliefs I had grown up with on me. And again, I love my parents, but we are not the same in this way and many other ways, and they are not welcome and they don't comment on anything health-related about the children because they don't really know anything. Their solution still in their lives is to take a pill, right? So over-the-counter are particularly popular with them. And that's something, that's another topic uh, we haven't really needed to go down with our children. I mean, they're just, it's not an option in our house. I don't even know really the broad range of medications that people even take nowadays. Sure, I can walk into Walgreens and look, but you know, I mean, as far as application, I know people do uh, take things for all kinds of reasons, but we just don't do that. We have um, a bottle of Tylenol in the house. I do. And I have very, very um, honestly taken it once in a blue moon never when pregnant. And that's something that was really important to me through all my pregnancies, for whatever reason. Uh, These last couple breast infections, I won't lie, Tylenol has definitely made an appearance, but that's me and being an adult and, you know, making my own choices. But the kids don't have access to that. That's not something we reach for for them when they're not feeling well. And even when they were super young, they had a fever. Again, my parents might have been, why don't why don't you give them Tylenol? That fever is getting too high. And Jason's parents are, are no better. They are complete germaphobes. And if they were closer, lived closer to us, they would have been over-involved as well. But both sets of parents are of that belief system. You need to give them something. Their bodies need help. They don't have a core belief about bodies 
doing what they need to do about being able to heal by themselves. They're very much dependent. So luckily, like I said, I didn't have knowledge, but I had intuition and I never fell into that trap. Um, I think my own dependence on medication as a child and that experience because medicines are gross. And that's what I remember is how disgusting a lot of these medications tasted and how they made me feel. I could feel the effects of them in my body as a child, specifically medications that are supposed to work on your lungs, right? There's um, like adrenaline and things that are released in your bloodstream and you, you feel those medications, especially as a child, a small person. So I think that's actually a lot of where I came from with my own kids when someone would do the whole, we'll just give them a little Tylenol. It's not going to hurt. You know, you don't want that fever to get too high. I never wanted to give my kid a gross thing. And luckily, I've never felt I needed to. I don't I don't know under what circumstance I would do that. I haven't had it happen because I think fevers are beneficial. And that reminds me of a book. And that book is How to Raise a Healthy Child in Spite of Your Doctor by Dr. Mendelssohn. And I don't remember who recommended that book to me. But man, I wish I could because they deserve an award. That is a great book if you haven't read it and or you're new to parenting a small person. And that book really was so influential and changed my life, specifically the chapter or part on fever. So the guy that wrote it's a pediatrician and he goes into why fever is a good thing and how we don't want to give fever lowering medications to children. That was like a light bulb went off and I felt so validated in my choice to not do those things. And so other choices followed from that. I mean, this is so hard to tell as a story, you know, a long, long linear 18 year story. I can't do it. I'm sure I'll just kind of pick things out. But yeah, you don't just get to, you know, get from point A to point Z without experiencing and trying and having these thought processes. So not giving Tylenol, not doing that for teething. I just was anti-medication for my children. I didn't want anything sort of poisonous in their bodies. And that, again, came from my own experience and my own intuition. So that was done. And over time, what I began to learn and see in them is that the less we did and not utilizing those kind of you know, saving devices, I mean, they're not life saving, just like symptom saving devices, is that the kids seemed healthier than surely I ever was. But of course, I was majorly vaccinated as a child. And that their bodies had a way of healing. So that sounds really dumb, in a way, because maybe you already know that. And sure, I already know that too, but there was a point in time in which I had to see it because my own body hadn't really shown that to me. So I was really watching my own children. And Amelia, like I said, was the only one that was sort of messed with that first year of her life. Nobody else has ever been touched, has ever been vaccinated, has ever been on antibiotics, has ever done any of these things. And so I've had this benefit of watching how the body actually works how a pure body actually works when it's not messed with. And that has been the education. 
because I won't lie. There's been times when I have been nervous. Um, Again, maybe it's a fever or maybe it's a kid that hasn't been feeling well and they're not seeming to get better as fast as you would like. And you start to doubt and you start to wonder if you're doing the right thing and you start to wonder if you're missing anything. And luckily, all of those situations have always been so graceful. And I've been taught that the body knows how to heal with love, with food, with, you know, the things that are just practical and that we know about and that a normal healthy child will, you know, 99% of the time get better and be even stronger. So that has been a huge learning curve. And I'm very grateful. That kind of brings me to another point, which is something I believe, since a lot of this is actually kind of belief systems. I don't know what kind of practical stuff I'll get to. But another belief I have is that you don't get sick from someone. So yes, things can be spread, I suppose. But if you're going to become ill, it's because your body is open to that, essentially. And that's not always a negative thing. I think particularly with children, uh, childhood illnesses, the common cold, even an occasional flu, you know, whatever number of years that seems to happen, are necessary, probably to stimulate our immune systems, which is a good idea. And in children, this brief time of sickness can result in actual growth, so physical growth, or emotional or spiritual growth. So it might coincide. And and if you pay attention with your own children, see if you see if you hear me here. But with mine, I've noticed that it coincides with growth. And they are sort of needing a downtime, you know, they're needing a hibernation that comes from being sick. And something in them changes after that. Maybe it's a milestone, like walking, just giving examples here. Maybe it's something we don't really understand, some kind of spiritual growth, you know, uh, a download, so to speak. So sick children get that time to sleep. You know, a lot of kids, mine in particular, if they're not feeling well, they know to just sleep and they know they should go rest. And that increased time of being sort of out of the flow of family life for a little bit and being asleep results in big things. And again, uh, I don't even know what some of them are, but I believe that and I know it to be true and through experience. So I don't fear sickness and I don't want them to fear it either. Of course, you don't want a kid that's always getting sick. Maybe that's something to look into, but it's going to happen occasionally and it and it needs to happen. And it's because we're open to it. And I think adults, the same thing. I think we can do a really awesome job of protecting ourselves in all the ways, even with supplements or mentally and emotionally. I know with my own kids, anytime they've had the stomach virus, which, oh, my God. Is that not the worst? That's probably my least favorite. I mean, nobody has a favorite sickness, but I really always have hated that, the throwing up thing, especially with little children, right? It's just brutal. And yeah, I have always told myself when the little kids maybe have come down with that, that I'm not getting sick. Like I can't afford to be throwing up. 
So it's just not an option. I'm not, my body is not open to that. I'm happy to take care of them. And of course, you're cleaning up lots of stuff. And part of your brain thinks, how could I not get this? I'm touching all this gross stuff. But for me, that's been an area where I've learned how strong my body is. Nope, not happening. Uh, but like I said, I don't, I don't necessarily think sickness is defeat or means that somebody is weak or, you know, not emotionally stable. I think we do need it. In fact, I remember a doctor telling me a long time ago that people that are really chronically ill, like cancer or whatever, um, sometimes the first sign or, you know, one of the first signs is that they don't get sick. Their immune systems are sort of whacked out and, you know, they don't. Um, Of course, eventually their immune systems can become hypersensitive. But anyway, that's an interesting thing to think about. Sickness isn't bad. Occasional sickness is probably beneficial and we don't need to run in fear from all of it. We can take it for what it's worth. We can kind of take it as a lesson and that might be geared more towards adults. You know, if you're if you're experiencing not feeling well, uh, you can maybe feel into what that's about or if there's another lesson behind that. I'm not saying I do that with little children. I think little children are going to get sick occasionally, and that is a healthy thing. And it's nothing they're doing wrong. It's nothing you're doing wrong. It's just part of growing up. And that's really an important thing. So, okay, I've kind of blabbed on about Amelia. And then when I became pregnant with Egan, who's our second child, we did not have health insurance. And I've probably told parts of this, but... Initially, that was really disconcerting and upsetting. I grew up in a house where health insurance is everything. And again, all those trips we had to the doctor as kids, those were all paid for, right? Because we had insurance. So that was just the paradigm I grew up in. I remember co-pays and all kinds of things that most little kids should know about. But I was very aware that medical care was important to my parents. So when I became pregnant with Egan and we didn't have insurance because Jason didn't have a corporate kind of job, it was really upsetting. And that was a huge turning point in our lives. So I remember sitting at the kitchen table in our Chicago apartment talking with insurance reps because I thought you had to have insurance. I felt naked without it. And I had all the thoughts run through my head that many people do when they're in that situation which sound like, well, what if I get sick? What if the kid gets sick? And you can go into this state of panic that is really fear-based and all about illness and death. So for more on that, listen to my podcast on why insurance shouldn't cover your home birth. I don't want to blab on about that here, but all to say that that was a huge turning point because we couldn't. We couldn't get private insurance. We couldn't afford it. And really, we jumped off that cliff, and this is... 16, 17 years ago now, we jumped off that cliff because we had no choice. And now it was the best thing we could have done. It changed our lives. It changed our thinking and our perception and even our intentions. It really kicks you in the ass when you realize you're in charge of your health. You are responsible for the health of your body. And so are you going to depend on other people to make that possible? Are you going to just do nothing to take care of yourself and then cash in on the medical care when you need it. I mean, yeah, most people live that way. 
but it wasn't a way we wanted to live. And even though we were unconsciously brought to that point, it was deeply resonant. So we didn't have insurance. That was also our first home birth. And everything changed from there as far as what I actually practiced with health and wellness. And I do attribute that to the home birth. I do attribute that to the midwife that we had. She questioned me right from the get-go. She questioned the things that I had thought were common and normal. So vaccination, right? This is my second kid. And she was like, oh, no, you don't. She was very opinionated. Um, Circumcision. Oh, no, you don't. And I had never had anyone question me or present this other side. So I'm extremely grateful to her. And I don't think my job now as a midwife is to tell people what to do. But I think I do understand how I can possibly be the only voice on this other side of the fence that they've ever heard. So that can be helpful. And hopefully they can work that into their assessment of things. Because again, I think most people have grown up another way. And the home birth might be the first thing they do that's natural. But then there's so much longer of a path to work, to walk, (laughs) not work. But yeah, work, work and walk, I guess. So I'm really grateful to my midwife about that. I'll never forget she uh, recommended we see a pediatrician, maybe. I can't even remember why she would have recommended that, because honestly, that's not something I recommend to people routinely. And I'll go into that in a little bit. But I can't remember why. I really don't. I mean, there was nothing wrong with him. So I don't know. But I'm kind of glad she did because the pediatrician, some old dude in Chicago who I wish I could remember his name. He was a well-known doctor. I think he taught at University of Chicago or, or something. He had a bunch of students. And I remember going into this pediatric office and those offices weren't anything weird to me because I had been in them but his was different and when he came in to meet us he brought students and he very proudly told them these people just had their babies at their baby at home and the students had questions and I remember feeling kind of like a celebrity and how fun it was and really I was just shocked like that this guy respected that that you know he didn't call us crazy or reckless he was a very nice guy however He still was a stickler for vaccines. This is what I remember. And he tried to be respectful, but I very distinctly remember him offering what I would now call propaganda about vaccinations and in particular saying something super fearful and inappropriate about meningitis. I don't know why I remember this. I mean, other than it's horrifying, he said something like, well, you can do what you want. And I totally understand not doing all of the vaccines, but this one, uh, and I can't even remember what the heck it's called at this moment, but the one for meningitis, um, that one just is not negotiable, you know, until you've seen a baby die of uh, meningitis, you know, you don't know anything. And I was really pissed. I had just had this beautiful home birth. Uh, He was all cool till that moment. And I was also totally freaked out. He totally got to me. And I think (laughs) I get it. You know, all of the women out there that are told, or your baby will die. We can laugh about that. But when you're the mother and someone says that to you and you're not completely in your power, it's really upsetting. 
So I remember crying and I mean, not right there. I went home and cried and we didn't vaccinate him then. I, I had the whatever to not do anything spontaneous in that regard. And I'm very grateful. Um, but emotionally, I was a rock. And I remember going home and thinking, oh, God, like, what kind of parent am I? You know, it was a whole new world. What now that I had this home birth, am I just going to be completely reckless in everyone else's eyes? And, you know, and I went through the the motions of what if my kid got really sick? What if he got meningitis? How would I feel? Oh, you don't wish that on anyone, but it was so necessary and it was so part of my process. And I'm so grateful because I do think the wisdom I receive through that experience has shaped the way I parent and I think has been helpful to other people when I share it. So that turned into a big thing, and the internet was a thing, if I can recall back then. Uh, So, you know, we had access to all kinds of information, and we didn't do it. We didn't take him back there. And I won't say it was like a split-second choice to not vaccinate. It was a deep soul-searching It was considering everything my own body had been through, all the belief systems I've shared here today, my husband and his own, which I didn't even get into, but were very similar to my own growing up, and a shedding of that and a reclaiming of what our bodies are capable of. Because I knew it. I had just birthed this baby at home. He was completely healthy and whole. And I knew deeply that it would be okay. And if I messed with him, I would regret that more than anything. Because anything's possible. And in that moment, I was even more vulnerable to the fear of, you know, what if he got something horrible? Because this was only my second baby. I didn't have the experience like I do now to say, you know what? Um, I know how to keep kids healthy for the most part. And... I'm not scared of these vaccine illnesses. At that moment, it was still a possibility that, okay, I guess he could get meningitis and then we'd have to deal with it. But I wasn't going to wreck his immune system. So that's a really long blab. But my best advice on that vaccine issue, I guess, is for people to find the truth within themselves. Because there is everything out there. If you search the internet, especially nowadays, right? There's a billion vaccine injury stories. And then there's a billion kids that were saved. And where do you go with that when you're a parent? You go nowhere. You go to fear land, or you go to this other place where you still feel like you're being reckless and awful, really. Um, And you have to like defend yourself at every turn. I think it's a soul searching that we have to do to remember where our bodies come from, to remember what we believe, to be tested in our wholeness, you know, our beliefs about our bodies being whole and our children being born perfectly um, and complete. And then it's just going from there. It's not a nothing could ever happen, but it's firmly rooted in in a belief system and intuition and a higher knowing. So that's where I don't feel like it's a debate. I don't 
I don't ever debate vaccinations. I'm not into that. And I won't ever be into that. I think parents should do what they think is best based on all of these things. And for me, once I got to that place, and my home birth was hugely influential in me getting to that place, because it was, again, this deep, intuitive knowing, and instinctual knowing. Uh, But once I got to that place, I never questioned it. I never thought about it again. I never considered it. I never was swayed by this or that. I don't give a shit what anyone would say or do. It's absolutely not an option to mess with my child's immune system. Uh, And, you know, circumcision similar, like you go do that when you're older if you want it. And of course, you know, I don't think that's really a thing. (laughs) Or at least my sons, I don't think are going to go do that. But the point being, it's not my body. I'm not going to mess with your body out of fear. And I hope that teaches you something. So I've never, never waffled there. And you know, when people sit in my office, and they're having their first baby, and they want to talk about vaccinations, I say pretty much the same thing. But I, I don't care in the sense of being this, you know, this religious person about it. Um, Yeah, I don't want to see babies circumcised. I think vaccination is dangerous, but, you know, if we don't honor people's knowing and their own belief systems, we're just like everyone else. We're just on one side of the fence telling them they're reckless and stupid, right? I will not participate in that, but uh, I've never had any doubts. It's 5,000% the right choice for us. If you're somebody that's on the fence and you're having trouble getting in touch with your inner knowing, then that's really the project. Uh, plenty of information out there, as I said, and with clients, I certainly do recommend some resources and books, something the woman I worked with as a student did was she would make clients research what each vaccine was for. Because truly people nowadays have no idea what they're even doing. So what disease it's for, and then research the disease. So how common is it? How likely is it? Is there some reason your child would be susceptible to that? I mean, some of them are really out there and, you know, some are contained to certain conditions or places. So not every disease is even applicable to every child. But for me, like I said, that was totally aside from the point. But if you're someone that needs that, I think that's also a way to get your brain learning more. But ultimately... I think it's a heart decision. And I think that's sort of the theme of this whole podcast is getting in touch with our own inner knowing, our own strength, and our beliefs. And then that guides how we parent our children's health, because there's so many opinions out there and, and, you know, debates, and I'm, and I'm not into that. So after Egan was born, I had this home birth, I had intuitively, at least a couple months later, um, refused messing with him in any way. And then I slowly got on the midwifery home birth train by apprenticing a couple months later. So I really would attribute so much of my initial interest in natural health to home birth. That's the truth. And that's why you're here. I'm sure I learned a lot from the woman I worked with. She had basic herbal knowledge. She had knowledge about homeopathy and I drank it up. I'll never forget getting that giant Bible. What is it? Nutritional healing. Uh, I can't remember the full name of the book, but it's like this encyclopedia of natural health. 
and I was totally in love. In fact, had I not pursued midwifery, which is a mood point, but had I not, I'm sure at some point I would have gone the natural health route and become a, you know, naturopathic doctor or something like that, even though I think that's even a loaded topic. And many of those doctors are really practicing Western medicine, but that's for another day. I have a respect for natural practitioners, of course. And I think it's always been deeply in me. Call me a witch, call me, you know, whatever. I know that I've been this route in other lives. And the coming upon knowledge about health and natural health in this life felt like coming home. It felt like coming home. It felt like my childhood of (laughs) medications and prescriptions basically didn't exist. And I really struggle to remember when it wasn't this way in in a sense, even though I know that the home birth was really when it became full bloom. So we lived in Chicago we, I had this midwifery apprenticeship. And like I said, I began to learn a lot. Our son Egan had a really bad eczema rash when he was a baby. And we did not consult Western medicine. I knew there was nothing there other than a steroid cream. And I wasn't interested in that. So it was part of the learning about birth, honestly, dabbling in all of these modalities. And I definitely wouldn't call me a call myself an expert in homeopathy or herbal knowledge. I'm not. I simply am a dabbler. Um, I know a fair amount about a lot of things. And really, I've tried them on my children, you know, most of them like homeopathy are pretty harmless. So I've learned through doing and in a midwifery practice. Many, many people I think utilize their midwives for baby questions and, and children wellness questions. So I've also just continued to learn in that way through the years. But Egan had this terrible eczema rash, and we ended up bringing him to a classical homeopath in Chicago. Also can't remember the dude's name. Uh, We also had this really fun apothecary in Chicago called Mertz, Mertz Apothecary, this, I think, old German, um, really beautiful store. Gosh, I have such fond memories. And they had all kinds of stuff. You know, I still have golden seal, powdered golden seal from this apothecary. So I have had it 17 years now. And yay for me because allegedly golden seal is endangered. So I've had this same vial of powdered golden seal for 17 years. And I think the midwife had had suggested we buy it for his cord, uh, cord healing, which I don't recommend that at all. But um, anyway, just a kind of a fun memory of me getting into these things and trying new things. So the classical classical homeopath we saw for a while. And if you don't know, homeopathy is really slow moving for chronic things. So acute things like fever, cough in a kid can be really amazing if you get the right remedy. Kids are so responsive. And it's essentially an energetic medicine. But working with this guy was just slow. I mean, rashes are serious things because they're deeper than what you see on the surface. And anyway, I don't remember. Yeah, I don't remember having overnight success. But I remember just enjoying being exposed to it and the questions he would ask and the remedies that we were trying with Egan at home. It was a really exciting new world. And again, it was a very pivotal part of my parenting journey. 
other natural health practitioners we've seen over the years. Um, I'm going to the chiropractor here in another half an hour, so I better wrap this up soon. And Deva's coming with today. She loves going to the chiropractor. And she's not a snap and crack kind. She does more energetic touches, so the kids are really responsive. And regular chiropractic care for any of them that want to go. We don't force anyone to go. But any of them that want to is our health care. So reframing what healthcare means has been obviously this journey. It no longer means insurance and co-pays and what can I get for, you know, this amount and who's in my network. When we finally got rid of insurance and we felt good about it, it was a no-brainer. Why would we pay for a system that we don't use? And that's not to say you never use medical care, but honestly, in 19 years of parenting, we've not used it. Uh, we've used it when we needed help that can't be had by natural methods. So true, a couple of years ago, we were out on a hike. And if I'm not wrong, it was New Year's Day, <laughs> New Year's Day hike quite far from home. And we had a dog with us, Daisy, and Daisy took off down the path and tripped true and he fell on a rock. Of all things, he fell on a rock on the back of his head and had a very not nice gash. Um, He was stable. You know, he kind of didn't even know what had happened, but it was not pretty and not something I could deal with at home. And that knock on wood has been one of the few times that, you know, medical help is needed. I think there definitely is a time and when you need something sutured and I don't suture, then that's where you go. And it was... I think more traumatic for me just taking that drive, you know, back from the hike and and Jason took him into the urgent care to get some stitches. So that's totally reasonable to me. And I feel grateful that in all these years of parenting, there have been, you know, one hand's worth, if not less than that, of actually needing medical care. So for people that wonder, you know, someone asked the question today, I think on Instagram, Um, in in anticipation of this podcast, you know, what's the relationship between you and medical practitioners? Like, how do you know when to use what? And I think I could be wrong. But I think this person said something like, you know, our family is, is often pressuring us or, you know, in other words, whoever asked this question kind of um, insinuated that it's more uncomfortable what other people think when you're, you know, they see you as anti-medicine. I'm not anti-medicine. I'm just pro-health. You know, I think there's a difference. So medical practitioners really don't factor into our lives. I trust the plan of life as much as anyone can. Um, And I'm grateful. I'm grateful for the help that's there when we need it. You know, Rumi's birth was a great example. Totally grateful that had I needed anything, they were there and I would have taken advantage of it. Um, But that is so rare. That is so rare in birth. That is so rare, I think, with healthy children, even 10 of them. And so I don't overthink it. I don't think about the balance because I don't think they need to be balanced. I think medical care is for sick people um, that want to, you know, use those resources. So again, aside from sutures in the head, let's say, I think even if, God forbid, Um, somebody in our family was sort of chronically ill with something, I still wouldn't choose Western medicine. That would never be the way I went. It's just not for me. 
Uh, it's not to say I wouldn't look into maybe what what they would do there for it or like sometimes uh, one benefit of Western medicine might be just getting this label, right? Sometimes a label is helpful. Give me a diagnosis <laughs> and then go on your way and figure out what you're going to do about it and all of the different levels and things that could mean because, of course, most of those diagnoses um, are purely physical, right? They're not taking into account anything else. It's just like, blah, asthma, blah, that's your lungs. Never taking into account anything else. So yeah, to answer the person's question, I don't think I need a balance. I don't think that's a place in life where um, that's a word that makes sense to me because the paradigm of Western medicine is you are broken and you can only be fixed by someone else. And I just don't subscribe to that. I don't want my kids to believe that. I don't think they do. And I don't want my family's health built on that. Because I think if your health's built on that, as I well lived, then you turn to that for everything. And you are indeed this sick, fragile creature that needs someone else. So yes, the rare emergency where they have a tool you don't have. Yes, but otherwise, um, it's not a category. Natural health isn't like you know, it's not an either or, it's just that's how we were made. Um, That's what nature is. And I resonate firmly with that. So really, what I think that comes back to, and I think this is getting way off track here, is our needing of approval from people with the way we parent and the choices we make. And again, that that weird fear thing that we can let creep in. Um, Vaccinations is a great example. You know, parents are like, Oh, well, I don't want CPS, blah, blah, blah. And like, it's all about what someone will do if they don't agree with your choices. Uh, We work through those things. We all work through that to get to a place where we know we are living in integrity with ourselves and no one else really matters. It doesn't really matter. There is no balance with the medical paradigm. I don't, I don't resonate. Ah, so um, other practitioners, chiropractic, we've used acupuncture over the years. My little kids loved acupuncture, or I should say my big kids when they were small loved acupuncture. They used to get little toys when they went there from our friend who did it. Um, It was extremely helpful to them. My son did clear up his eczema just kind of on his own. Um, But as a as an older child, he still had it, like, but not on not on his face, which is where it had started as a baby. He had it just in, you know, other places, like on his leg or whatever. So once he was old enough to be okay with having needles, because I would never, you know, I don't put needles in people that can't um, agree to it. But once he was old enough and wanted to go to acupuncture and try it, he loved it. And a lot of the kids did because they would watch him do it and they wanted to try it. Um, It was really beneficial. And actually, acupuncture is what completely cleared up his eczema. And almost overnight, that was extremely amazing. And she also did herbs, so Chinese medicine herbs. And the kids, I believe, you know, we had a whole, at one point, kind of apothecary in our cabinet that she had set us up with. Uh, So herbs for stomach stuff, herbs for lung stuff. And we used them when we needed them. I don't think we were ever reliant and we haven't had them for years. So another theme of natural health that I've found with the kids is you kind of move through, you try different things, you learn different things, you see how it works for your family. And you move on, you know, I don't I don't do any one thing like that all of the time. Another modality that I really like and have used for a while, essential oils. 
And I think there are things to know for sure. And this isn't like a teaching podcast about all the things, but I have studied essential oils quite a bit. I've done some trainings. And so I do think there are specifics to know with using for children because there's also a lot of fear about all of these things. Oh, don't use this oil. Don't do this. Oh, your, you know, your kid will die if you use this oil. Probably not. I mean, not that natural things can't be dangerous. They, they definitely can. But I think with essential oils, use your common sense, take some trainings if you want, um, experiment on yourself. And yeah, you definitely use caution with oils on babies. And you know, definitely there is caution to be used. But for example, in a diffuser, you're not going to hurt anyone. It's really not possible. Uh, so that's a great way to clean the air. That's a great way to take care of coughs and colds when you're sleeping at night. Oils on the bottoms of the feet are our favorite. We've done that for years. In fact, every night of her life, Deva loves having oils on the bottoms of her feet. And it's more ritual at this point. But if you were keeping an immune system solid, I mean, not that it needs that. But if a kid was having a hard time or if it's flu season or whatever, you can do immune support oils on the bottoms of the feet. You can do relaxing oils or, or oils that help with sleep, which is typically how we use them at night. Uh, but that has been and is a huge part of my medicine cabinet. I have hundreds and hundreds of oils, honestly. And I love them. I love good smells. Um, I've personally seen um, healing and the way my body responds. So again, oils on the bottoms of the feet crucial, crucial part of healing from a breast infection. Uh, and that's, you know, just one way I've used them personally. So that is a wonderful tool, I think that nature has given us. Western herbal medicine, not as big on that, although I think I know a fair amount. I feel very respectful of herbs, I don't want to use them stupidly, because they are medicine. And I don't want to have that Western medicine attitude of like fixing with an herbal thing. And so I think that's something to think about when you're working with children and health, you know, what's your intention? Is your intention for the body to heal itself? Or are you still someone that's looking for like a Band-Aid and not a literal Band-Aid? <laughs> Sometimes Band-Aids are helpful, but you know what I'm saying. So I don't do Western herbal medicine, all of that often, especially with kids. I think I really would consult an herbalist if I wanted to use them, you know, for something with kids that felt more chronic. Like, I don't know. Um, what if they had a respiratory thing that like really truly wouldn't go away? Well, I guess I, I don't turn to herbs for that. So that's my answer. <laughs> They're not really my go to I'd much sooner use garlic. Um, or we have a fire cider. Fire cider is really awesome. You can make your own. I do not. Um, I don't remember where I got the one that I have. But my kids are really great at taking care of themselves and using supplements, using the, the weird things some might say we have around. They don't complain. Uh, and they know, the older kids especially, not feeling well, got a sore throat, uh, go gargle with salt water. Yep. And then swallow some vinegar, everyone's favorite. Take some garlic, swallow garlic, uh, take the fire cider, you know, make a ginger shot. There's all kinds of ways to use just food or things you have around your house to maybe nip something in the bud. And I think it's fun to think about in a way that 
you know, my older kids just sort of have that. It's just common knowledge to them, you know. I mean, they don't even necessarily ask me. They grew up this way. They know how to keep themselves healthy. Uh, they know when they start to not feel well, and they have very good, you know, basic support of what to do. And even the little kids. Other things we do, well, rest. I think that's my number one. And my husband, I can't leave him out for growing up also a very sick child. He's an extremely healthy man. And he's always had this attitude of like, less is better, which his mother was not or is not that way. So I don't know where we both came from. But together, we've been, I think, a really good team in managing our children's health. Um, Not that it's needed tons of managing, but he's been very influential. So in the beginning, when I was maybe a little more touchy about, oh, should we do something? He's always been the one that, you know, would say and does say, let's just wait. Let's just wait. Nothing's, this isn't life threatening. Let's just wait. Let's just give it more time. And 99.9% of the time, he's been right. Just wait, give it more time, let healing happen. And how does healing happen? Food, hydration, sleep and rest. Again, I think most kids have the common sense to go rest. But, you know, our kids are not in school, we're not making them go do activities. So they really do have permission. And with older kids, that's something we're still talking about. One of my children, I'll leave, I'll leave their name out for privacy's sake, really likes to run themselves into the ground a bit. Although I, I don't know that I should say they like it, but they do it. They do it. They overdo it. And I think respecting our different physical limits is something else to teach kids. Uh, my body, for example, is not as hardy. I mean, I'm pretty hardy, but like my husband never gets sick. And me, if I'm up five nights in a row or whatever crazy thing happens, I know myself. I know my immune system will be a little weaker and I have to be careful if I don't want to lay around sick. Um, So I think just knowing our own bodies and kind of where we're weak and where we're strong. So this one child definitely has similar limits to me. They cannot be out all the time doing all the things and working out and running around and then expect to stay totally healthy. There will be something whether it's just a headache or a cold or whatever. So still, with even older children, reminding them that their bodies have limits, we need to respect those limits. And sometimes the best and easiest thing we can do is just chill out. Chill out, focus our energy on what's important, which is sort of nothing. And that nothing isn't even nothing. Taking care of ourselves, laying on the couch all day when you're not feeling good, drinking some bone broth, that is what our bodies need. And it's not lazy. And it's, you know, there's nothing to do, right? There isn't a magic pill, unfortunately. And I think as a parent, that is hard. We've all had sick children at one point or another. And it's hard when they don't feel well, and they're miserable. And as a parent, you want to take it away, you want to give them something that would help. But that's been another lesson. And I think I feel less like that than I used to. Um, it's hard, but you know, you can do it. It's like birth. It's hard work, but you can do it. And I'm here and I love you and I support you and I'll bring you the broth and, you know, I'll run the bath for you, but I can't make it go faster. I'm sorry. Your body is doing what it needs to do. So I do think this will pay off in a sense. I hope, I hope that they get the lessons they need 
with or without my help, of course, and that I'm sure this will influence them in their parenting and possibly even having babies and all of that. So let's see. Let's see what else. Oh, meditation. That's another thing. Even small children can do meditations and that might sound ridiculous. But again, it's all about listening, listening and feeling in our bodies, which is something I'm always trying to get better at myself. So why not practice it with the children? You know, why not talk about where you're feeling what in your body and specifically how it feels and um, how that makes you feel emotionally? Like there's so much more to health and wellness than just popping a supplement or a pill or even going to a practitioner. I don't push a lot of supplements or I personally don't even use very many anymore, but we do have a cabinet, as most people that I know do, of things. So I've mentioned the fire cider and we have probiotics in the fridge. I don't know that anyone really takes those. Um, Things like magnesium, you know, sometimes the kids have growing pains at night or, you know, a really bad headache and that's something to try, you know, try some salt under your tongue and some magnesium and a lot of water is what I would say. Um, Along the lines of self-awareness, though, again, back to that, and this is getting super long, is not only have you been doing too much, but how is your body feeling? And have you been taking care of basics? So for older children, you know, have you been eating well? What have you been eating? Have you been eating enough? Are you getting enough? Are you getting enough of this or that? Or, you know, so not, I don't think it's diagnosing anything, but just like I do with my clients, getting a bird's eye view of what's going on and seeing if we can make nutritional changes or, you know, um, lifestyle changes, really, because you should be feeling good. You should be feeling good in your body and you shouldn't need a lot of pills or outside help to do so. But taking that responsibility is really the biggest thing. So that's what we're teaching here, I believe. Um, let's see, anything else? Essential oils, chiropractic, homeopathy, flower essences, I find are helpful for emotional things. Even tiny children can take some rescue remedy. And I think that's a conversation, you know, anytime you give a child a thing, explaining what it is, seeing if they want to take it, of course, and explaining how it works and how their bodies might use it. Again, it's not like this pill is going to do this thing for you, but maybe your body needs some extra magnesium right now. That really helps relax the muscles. Or this flower essence is really great when you're feeling afraid. It can just remind your body that, you know, there's something to be afraid of or bring your body back into balance. So even the simplest of tools can be used with intention and explanation in a small child so that they are reminded at every turn that they are responsible, that they are powerful, and that they really create happiness and wellness in their bodies. And that tools are available to you when they need some outside help. So I think I'm going to leave it at that. That was quite a blab. And there's probably a million more things to say and a million more stories I could tell, but it's not to be today. So thanks for listening. Be sure to check out that 13 moons pay what you can. We'd love to see you there on the platform and in the course and have a really great day.